And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So all of you know, I love knowledge and I love transferring it and I love talking about it and exploring it, but how do you process the automation of it? That's what we're going to get into today with today's guest. And, you know, the company that and founder that we have on the show today is on our top Salt Lake City startups list. So congratulations there. Before we get into who that is. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. That's my business, everyone, and I'd love to talk to you more about it. We really help solve the problem of not having enough developers in North America. And man, that is a problem, and we help you fix it. Now, that's not what we're going to... Well, maybe we will talk about that. I don't know. We, we never know what we're going to talk about until we get into it. But with me today, I've got Steve Schillingford, and he's the president and CEO of DeepSea.ai. That's DeepSee.ai. There's a link for that in the show notes, straight out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Steve, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Yeah, you know, I like to get started in, in my conversations with a little bit about your backstory. So why don't we just dive right in? Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is my third startup. Um, I, I came out of sort of enterprise, big tech, working for companies like Oracle and uh, sort of cut my teeth there, learned about sort of how to grow and, and, and the discipline of large organizations, but, but a lot of negative knowledge, as I like to say, about things I didn't like. And, uh, you know, I kind of fell into my first startup uh, uh, back in 2007 uh, and just never looked back. It's just something I've always liked to do and, and, and building not just a company and a product, but also the culture and, and you know, having people that, that are sort of similarly aligned is like, that's the real fun of the startup. Now, there are a lot of hard things too, but, but that's why I continue to do it. So you mentioned the term negative knowledge, and I actually want to explore that for a minute, because I think a lot of people that I talk to, and even myself, start a business based on negative, it's like negative knowledge is the catalyst. It's the things that we don't like, which turn into the problems that entrepreneurs want to solve. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, my, my business full scale, I started it because I had found success hiring developers in the Philippines. But then I realized that really no, no one I knew was any good at it. So they all kept asking, like, how do I do it? How, what do we do? So the more and more we looked at it, we're like, we should probably do something that helps our friends and peers. Next thing you know, you got 250 employees and a pretty robust business. Now with, I'm at DeepC and once again, DeepSee.ai, and you're talking about digital transformation delivered. I have a feeling that this is related to the fact that everyone talks about digital transformation and then no one seems to actually pull it off. Yeah, yeah, it's 100% correct. It's, it's like getting in shape. 
you know, we, we all know what we want to do when we're in shape. We want to rock around the beach and, and you know, uh, uh, look great. But getting there is really hard. And sometimes, you know, it's starting. Uh, and where do you start? And so, you know, the negative knowledge thing for me, like the older I get, the more confidently uninformed I am. And I'm really comfortable, I'm really comfortable with yeah. that. But, I'm but with what, you on that. You know, what I, what I do feel really um, sort of animated about is I've seen enough cycles and enough patterns in tech over the last 25 years that you start to see, you know, the old Mark Twain quote, uh, you know, history never repeats, but it often rhymes. I mean, that's never been more true than in tech where you see these patterns recycle where, you know, there's like a sort of an orgy of spending in venture capital and they fund all these feature companies and these feature companies get a little traction and then they get rolled up into bigger companies. And then pretty soon, you know, the, the buyers are exhausted because they don't know what to buy. They've got the paradox of choice everywhere. And they're really just looking for a solution. And so in the world of digital transformation, this was never more profound than you know, we had started the company kind of in late 18, but uh, we all like the world changed for us in whatever March of 2020. And I never saw more sort of uh, aggressive adoption of new and interesting technology in the Fortune 500 than I did during that sort of, you know, 20, 2020, 2021 period where companies really large companies, largest banks in the world, largest consumer packaged good companies in the world got really caught where they were sort of using, instead of really implementing technology, they were using low cost labor arbitrage to solve, you know, what are really problems that are great for automation and, you know, kind of start you on the journey of digital transformation. And then, you know, it's really hard to bring somebody in an office in a foreign country but at least you can bring them there. You can bring fiber, give them all the equipment. But when they have to go home and do the same work on a hotspot over a 5G network with a mobile phone and a laptop, it's really pretty hard. And all of a sudden, the systemic risk starts starts to show up. And so that's that was some of the kind of um, uh, sort of tailwind that we were able to take advantage of. As I like to say, we were COVID positive uh, during that moment because that's really where we, we uh, were able to sort of prove out the value of doing uh, uh, sort of automation, and uh, we've been, you know, we haven't looked back ever since. I, I hear you on the automation thing. You know, having hundreds of employees in the Philippines, I've run into that a lot because you, you, in some of these countries, so you have skilled labor and then you have labor. You know, and and with the just regular labor, I mean, there's not a lot of differentiation in between people. So it drives the price down. So, you know, what Steve's referring to is a lot of countries, you just throw bodies at it just because it's super affordable. So why do we want to innovate? Why do we want to automate? And I've gone through that a little bit myself because I'm also the founder of Gigabook, which, you know, here in the US, I, it's almost rude if you ask for an appointment and don't send a scheduling link at this point. But I've gone through this over the last, well, I mean, here, you know, I've been, I've invented a platform that does it. And I, you know, I've rolled that out to our, our team, you know, three and four years ago. And I'll be honest, a couple of people, I felt like I'd just shown them fire, you know, but the, 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 the idea of, of it, it, it wasn't, well, why would I want to do this? I'm like, cause so you don't have to send six emails back and forth asking when you're available. And then, 
you, know, you look at the scale of things, and that's something that uh, you mentioned as you get as you've gotten older, you have a bigger appreciation for the things you don't know. Because man, for me as well, that's vast and and infinite. And and, and I've also gained as my company's gotten bigger, I've got a bigger respect for like the the mass. You know, like the idea that making any kind of change in a big company is kind of like trying to turn a battleship around in a swimming pool. Yeah. You know, it's just really difficult. So when it when it comes to just I think when it comes to change, people don't like it. They don't want it. They don't usually adopt it. So how do you, how does your product get past that very first barrier? Well, there's, you know, I mean, you hit on a couple of really key points here. Uh, one is like the larger the organization, the more diffuse responsibility is across the organization. And so, you know, uh, a lot of times it's not a battleship in a swimming pool. It's a battleship in quicksand because you can't really affect change given kind of the narrow specialization that any one person has. But what happens, and, and we saw this during the uh, sort of, you know, the lockdown or whatever the, the 2020 was, we saw that all of a sudden it exposed real, what I would call systemic risk to the business. And so like, if you, if you pivot back to technology for a second, the last 10 years, we've seen really in, in enterprise, three trends that I think all kind of lead us to where we are today. Back in the kind of 2010s, it was all about big data. Like we went from Oracle, SQL databases, structure, you know, well understood to like there's data everywhere, whether it was network telemetry or just, you know, more messaging passing through the pipes. And then, you know, around 2017, 2018, you, you had this massive sort of leap forward in technologies that are sort of quote unquote AI. I'm trying to avoid buzzwords here, but like things like Google and Toyota and Facebook and others were open sourcing these new models that were able to interpret and and really understand language something like they, they call it natural language processing and those two components being able to take a lot of data because we have infinite compute and being able to you know pull words that humans would understand versus digits or or you know code and then you couple that those two things with just the ability to deliver this stuff over cloud-based architectures you get this like I should be automating. I should be automating my invoice matching system. I should invoice, you know, my payment reconciliation. Why, why do I have a hundred people doing that when I can only, when I only need 10. And so I looked at that trend and to me, that all looks like business process automation circa 2005, right? Except it was workflow and it was passing, you know, message buses. So you look to companies now, they made a rational decision to sort of outsource, but where they're really looking at the future, they're saying, you know, the risk to me in outsourcing is, well, think about market disruptions. Forget about COVID. I mean, I, last time I heard there's a shooting war over in Eastern Europe, right? We've had all kinds of market disruptions in the last two or three years that have really exposed these weaknesses. So you want something that's resilient. You want something that's capable of producing not just automation and, and ROI there, but I do something once and I automate it. You know, I save some money. I do it a million times. I have insight into a process where the trap data was never before exposed. And I, I didn't understand what I didn't even know to ask. And so we're trying to gear our platform and our solution to large enterprises 
so that they not only get the benefit at the sort of you know level one ROI risk mitigation, but when they do it over and over again, they all of a sudden are are you know being able to sort of be more competitive in uh, their various verticals. You know, there's so many people have talked to me over the years about the valuations that software companies get, and you know, they, and they'll sometimes they're like, "I don't get it." I do. Software shows up to work every day. It it, it really does, and, it, and it, you know, the thing about it is, is, is I mean, what is it? Software eats the world. Like that was prescient ten years ago, or however long ago, when they, uh, when Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz started their fund. I mean, they, they literally saw the world, you know, and they were looking at infinite compute, cloud-based architectures, right? All the advances in um, sort of software generally. Uh, and I think what we're seeing now is everywhere this, I'm, I'm saying broadly in quotes, this effort to digitally transform used to be like, oh, I need to do it because, you know, it's, it's advantageous. Now it's like existential. And I hear and I talk to a lot of Fortune 500 business executives, not necessarily technology executives. And they're going, you know, I don't know what my tech folks have been doing, but I'm feeling pressure from the very top to do this more. And it feels like a journey of a thousand steps. And I always say, well, you know, you got to start someplace. And so, you know, you start with the obvious and the easy and you work your way into it. And I think that's what we're trying to provide with our solution. And, and a lot of it is, frankly, some of it's almost like uh, counseling, right? It's not consulting. It's like, okay, this is how you think about the organizational behavior. And this is how you think about implementing and, and planning. And so, you know, it's every organization is a little bit, you know, further or behind and you just kind of, you know, size your audience and, and work with them. But I think everybody's energized by it. I like the counseling over consulting. I do a lot of that. I uh, just say that because, you know, we get, you know, a couple hundred leads a month and honestly we're looking for four out of that like four new clients out of like 150 or even 200 and we do go through a counseling process so you know and this is and we'll emulate this for a moment hello prospect how are you oh i'm having a terrible time this sucks i can't keep people here i i get two applicants when i have a job i had an offshore team somewhere else and they were terrible and you you kind of have to go through this like purging yeah. of all of the all of the misgivings mistakes and and everything else that has become a problem and then you're you know you said something at the very beginning of the show there well there's so much stuff out there that entrepreneurs you get this like clouded view of what you can could or should be doing so much to the point that for many people that aren't inherently decisive that they just they get the paralysis analysis you know and or you know analysis paralysis however you want to put it one of the two kind of one in the same there but well, you know you start to wonder you're like what should i be doing how should i be doing it and really in the end all people want to know is that that they have some support that they have some backup and that on many days that other people are embracing the same thing and you know like for at my business the bigger we've gotten the easier it's become for us to sell because yeah. it's like, okay, there's clearly a success formula here that someone's using and, you know, all this and, and, and you know, that kind of adoption. Now, what for you at DeepSea, and once again, that's deepsee.ai, there's a link in the show notes so you can learn more about them. So what was the first big hurdle that you had to climb over or, well, or, or 
or dig under or go around or explode to get, you know, there's always, anytime there's a hurdle, there's always some obstacles in the way to change that, that you have to get over first or you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. I, I, um, I mean, that's a, I could talk about that question for a week, but, um, I would say when I think about, so I'm a student of Steve blank and his lean startup philosophy. I, I really, I encourage anybody who's trying to do a business. It's, I think it's steveblank.com and it's, it's an amazing resource, but I was fortunate enough to take a few classes from him in grad school. And I remember sort of having this epiphany about, you know, self-actualization as an entrepreneur and a founder is like, that's like job one. And so when you think about your job as a, as a CEO of a startup, it's really simple. You really only have three jobs. It's you need to set true north and you need to be constantly assessing the world, the market, your ability as you gauge true north. And, and I always talk about Shackleton and his journey to the South Pole and great book called Endurance. But if you look at the, the actual path he took, it looks like someone had a seizure trying to draw a straight line because it's just a bunch of like turns and corners and back, you know, back traces. And, and that's what the startup looks like. It looks like I know where I want to go directionally, but the path there is going to be informed by what's in front of me today. What, what are the weather conditions, funding conditions, all of those kinds of things. The second two jobs are, are really, you know, they're hard, but they're also quite straightforward. I mean, you got to go find folks either in your network or folks that you can, you know, recruit to the company and then let them do what they're good at. Too many times founders feel like they have to be across everything. And I'm not saying that there aren't times you have to take out the trash or you have to, you know, uh, uh, clean a window, but you, you need to be comfortable that the people you've brought in to do jobs, whether that's CTO or, you know, head of sales or head of product, like you need to be comfortable that they are capable. And if you're not, if you're doing their job for them, then you have the wrong people. So you got to be really kind of, you know, pretty, pretty clear headed about that. And then finally, you should always be mindful of how much money you have in the bank. Because at the end of the day, nothing else matters if you run out of money. The greatest ideas are the ones that get funded and that keep money in the bank, not, you know, the ones that were great, but, you know, you couldn't you couldn't keep money in. And so I like to sort of think about my time allocation, which is like a portfolio in the market, like it changes all the time. Sometimes you're fundraising full time job. Don't pretend it isn't. Sometimes you're you know recruiting. And sometimes you're like, man, I got new information today. How does that affect what I originally thought the company's hypothesis was? So I think you start there. And sometimes you're starting in a market, I would say that that is a brand new market. And that's 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 a, you know, um, never been seen before market or, uh, you know, I invented this thing that has both a phone and an iPod and a mini computer in it. And you could argue that's derivative, but you could also argue the packaging of that was, you know, fantastically new. Um, in our case, we felt like we were going after a new space that was sort of an offshoot or an evolution of an existing segment or an existing kind of uh, uh, marketplace. And so the first thing you want to do is you want to build that first solution. You want to get a lot of customer or I should say prospect friendlies or otherwise you want to get their feedback. And you want to make those turns tight, like the iterations should be short, they should be rapid. And then you want to win that first customer. 
And that's called sort of customer discovery in the lean startup mantra. You get one of those, you get them right, and they love it despite how ugly and clunky and buggy it is. Then you go out and figure out, is there one of those in the world or are there a thousand? And when you get to the point where your TAM or your total addressable market's big enough, then you know you got a business. And then you do all the company business bullshit, like uh, stuff. Like you do. You can say you can say bullshit on this show. It's okay. <laughs> that, that's that's like uh, that's on the white list. Like okay, okay. Yeah. By the way, so just so, just so you know, we when we started the show four and a half years ago, we we just hit the mark all episodes explicit because. <laughs> Because we started the show to complain about entrepreneurship and to tell the real story of it. And if I can't say fuck, then yeah. I cannot do that. So hey, yeah, brother. you're good. You're good. You're you know, good. Uh, and, and by the way, this seems like a good time to mention that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, where we help you build a software team quickly and affordably. You can reach out to Fullscale.io and schedule an appointment to talk to me and you can say fuck all you want. We're okay yeah. Yeah, well, that's I'll probably of, say it before. I'll probably say it before you. So yeah, I, I um yeah I have a tendency <laughs> to let that go. So I appreciate that though. I think I think the 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 challenge in a lot of ways is you know, and and I have to say I've seen this in the entrepreneur community in certain geos where entrepreneurs go around high fiving each other because they raise money. And I'm like, oh, I hate that, man. I hate that. Like at some point that, you know, we get into that a lot and, you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to get to climb up on the soapbox too high. Cause I might not get off of it. I, I have a couple of things. Well, first off it is steveblank.com. Um, and he's a, he's a professor at Stanford entrepreneur professor. If you, you mentioned that and he does some cool stuff, he's got a lot of nice little startup tools and stuff like that. I really appreciate people that put that kind of stuff out in the world. Um, I had a couple comments about, you, you mentioned finding the true North. Um, you know, I think one of the things, the biggest mistakes that early stage companies and just founders make in general, you talk about spreading yourself too thin, but it's also trying to be good at six different things before mm -hmm. you're good at one of them. And I, I, I you know, I, I've shielded myself from a lot of the noise that exists in my world. And so I don't get as many people that I'm not in front of as many people that want advice on their big idea. But half the time when I was doing that and talking to a lot of people, here's the five things we're going to take over the world. Okay. What are you good at now? Well, we haven't really started any of these. Okay. Do you have any funding? No, we don't have any resources right now. Okay. So you have no butter to spread on no bread. Yeah. And you're, but you're going to, but you're going to serve up four Michelin stars on five different slices. And, you know, that's the thing is like, you like kind of like you mentioned, pick one thing and get good at it. Now that might involve now Look, I'm not saying don't, I'm not telling you to not test, 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 but you're trying to see what you're going to gain a traction channel on. And then I like to say that I'm looking for 10, I, I try 10 things, hoping that one works. When I find that one thing, I, I compare it to a crack that I now have to shove an elephant through, you know, so you're trying to hurry up and do that. But but in the beginning, you can't do it because you're just pushing, pushing and pushing, but you got to keep pushing. Another thing with, that you you mentioned, uh, you know, talking about like the people that you have, letting them do their jobs and all of that. And you know, I've been using a term that I, that I don't know, I made it up. I don't know if it's a real thing or not, but I've been talking about organizational honesty. And this starts at the founder level. So you talk about the people that you have. And I was recently on a show uh, with the CTO from Linktree. 
and you know they're they're a new newly proclaimed unicorn company they've got 20 million monthly users he had worked at a lot of different companies and i said what's what's the one thing that you've learned that really stood out and he said uh, you know this really stuck with me he said it, the realization that sometimes you have to sit back and be honest about the fact that the people that helped you get from level zero to 10 sometimes aren't the people that are going to help you get from a level 11 to 5,000. And that's that organizational honesty and being open with yourself. And I think that also is you talk about changes in direction. Uh, they just found Shackleford ship, by the way. Did you see I that? I saw that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. That only took, what, 150 years. Amazing, so, but yeah. yeah, well, and so with that, you mentioned the the like the seizure kind of written path. Yeah, that's what that's what entrepreneurship is really like, and that's why when sometimes when I talk to, I, I was giving an entrepreneur some advice recently, and he told me the advice he'd been getting. I said, "Man, that really sounds like you were talking to an academic and not an entrepreneur." He said, "Well, why do you say that, Matt?" And I said, "Because that advice goes from A to B to C to D to E to F to G." Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and never once in any part of my plan, my path, or any of that, because it's actually like you're trying to get to B, but B isn't attainable because you somehow needed to get to C before you got to B, and then you realized that D was the place that actually had traction. But then it started to kind of crumble because you spent too much time trying to get to B, which wasn't attainable. So then all of a sudden the alphabet went A D E F B C, and that's your reality. If that's it's, the path, if that's the path, then that's the path. It's very nonlinear. And, oh, and yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the scaling people part. So true. It's, uh, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've lived through it. I'm living through it and I'm very self-actualized about it, but, um, it's, it's like the founder has to make the hardest decisions all the time. And, you know, a funny story when I, my first, um, my first course, uh, when I was in grad school, I took from, you know, Steve Blank, it was like entrepreneurship, I don't know, 201. And there was someone teaching entrepreneurship 101 before him, who, who, this was at Cal at the time, who had never done a startup. And I remember, I I remember I come in and literally I was like, I, I really like this guy because he came in and he goes, somebody tell me how you can teach something that you've never done before and actually have any, like he just said it, like he just said it. And I remember going, that dude is transparent and direct. In a At least he owned it though. At least right? he owned it. Cause so I get myself in trouble, man. Cause I get invited to panels to be a guest. And there's like three people that want to teach, talk to me about entrepreneurship that have never done it. And I get pissed. I'm like, you do not have my attention. You don't get me. You don't understand anything about what I live through every day. And then now the problem now, as I've gotten older, I've learned to, to shut the F up a little more. Uh, because I don't, because the, the flip side of that is I end up getting yelled at because I'm not supporting this or that. I'm like, well, okay, but this shit's garbage. Yeah. Well, I just find, you know, and I, I know the cultures that I build in the startups that I, uh, I've done, I, I really like transparency from the top all the way down, like transparency and directness. Like I, I suffer from an inability to sort of not say what I'm thinking. <laughs> and I, I really try I really try, like I've been told by my wife, like sometimes I should cut one sentence short because it just like people get, yep. you know, because the way you say stuff, right, can be, 
can be hurtful or can be perceived as offensive. But really what you're trying to do is say, look, this is what I'm seeing and it's yeah. sucking. And so like, I'm saying that to you because I value your contribution to making it not suck. So let's talk about that. Right. And sometimes, you know, that's, that's a, you just need to put your heads together. Sometimes that's, you know, the, the, the wrong fit. And the hardest thing is to be able to separate emotion because you probably like that person or you, you know, obviously you hired them. So you have confirmation bias or the, you know, you think about all the pain and, and, oh God, what am I going to do? How am I going to do that? But I, I would tell you a couple things in the history of capitalism, no one has been fired too early. And two, like I had a VC, one of my early venture capital, you know, supporters said you, when you know, you know, and you have to make the change, whether that's a person, a, a, a strategy, like when you know, you really, really have to sort of, um, you know, act on that because while money is precious, the most precious asset a startup has is time. And I mean, they can act much faster than the rest of the market. So if you're wasting that, then you're really screwing yourself. You know, in regards to that, and this is something, so you talk about scaling people. I mean, dude, that's the business I'm in. And you, it, that is the least linear thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then for us too, is, you know, we're looking for like that top 5%, which means at a minimum, I got to get 20 applicants to hire one, which then turns you into a volume enterprise. So we've had to like learn how to streamline that, how to assess people and the difference between like a technical assessment and who, and who they are as a person. Like just because you can write code in a brilliant way does not mean I want you anywhere near my business. You know, because I, I mean, some of those people might be, I mean, they might just be terrible to deal with, or they might not have any passion for it. And it's just, I mean, it's so I, I've gone through that with people that I've talked to about my business. And they're like, well, you should hire more people if this, if you don't have enough supply and there's the demand. I'm like, yeah, it's not quite that straightforward. So our, our hiring model is, I refer to it as exactly and exact. When we find people that fit our hiring model, we hire them. And then we figure out what we're doing with them afterward. Because talented, smart people do talented, smart things. Yeah. And, you know, that's the that's the business we're in. And then the clients that we work with, that, that's another thing, too. I think as an entrepreneur and also like as a startup founder, and you talk about transformation, who whose world are you trying to transform as a client or a user? Because you can have all of the wrong clients and users and 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 end up on that Shackleford path again. Because yeah. you're chasing their shiny things around and maybe they don't get it or they don't want it. And so like we've actually decreased the number of clients we have because we wanted to put more focus on the ones that get what we're doing, the way we're doing it. And they jive well with our model, meaning like, give me the smartest people you'll find. And I know they'll find solutions rather than the people that are like, okay, I need the perfect candidate at one third of the local price. What can you do for me, Matt? Nothing. Cause I've got someone else that already put them on their team. Yeah. You know, so I mean, yeah. you get into that. So, but we digress and we were talking about knowledge process automation. Now knowledge is a tricky thing when it comes to transferring it. What do you think some of the key ingredients are? Cause uh, uh, I, I have some very specific opinions on this. I want to let you go first. Well, as a former philosophy major, who figured out that he couldn't get paid to, you know, been there, did it with sociology. Yeah. I, um, (laughs) I, I, I've thought a lot about what is, you know, what does knowledge mean? And, and I think 
you know, it's it's been debated for thousands of years. But I think in the context of deep sea, we see it, it's actually quite scary how fragile and brittle some of the most important processes inside a bank or a food delivery manufacturer or, you know, um, you know, places where you think, oh, these guys are really, you know, they've got it down and they know what they're doing. You, you, you look behind the curtain and you go, wow, that's how you do it. And you realize that a lot of that process is informed by people who have been there for a long time, who have this sort of legacy of just kind of like seen that before. And, and, you know, they're like, the subject matter experts that drive the apparatus and those people, you know, they stay for a long time in these orgs. And so when they get exposed to things like, Hey, I've got some technology and I can do this and do that. First thing they think of is, uh, that's horseshit. I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to automate myself out of a job. But what it's really about is it's about taking that institutional knowledge and that sort of experience and codifying it in a system that can be, you know, scaled up and also scaled out. So scaled up means, you know, if I'm labor constrained or if I'm, you know, sort of subject matter expert constrained, you know, if I want to, you know, increase my growth or cut my cost or avoid getting fined, right? I, I, I don't have many options there. I can't just add more people. That's not tenable. But what I can do is I can put those people, and I'd say put those people in charge of the machines versus the machines replacing people. And that's kind of what we think about when we uh, uh, deploy our solution. And so to do that, there's a whole bunch of technology. Like it can't just be, I'm gonna digitize a bunch of like, you know, documents and messages and, you know, web clippings, et cetera. I've got to understand the context that blue means a color versus a mood versus, you know, the velocity of wind. Right. Like you, you, that's that's the hard part that machines really that's called natural language understanding. And that's part of the innovation that you take the tech and you apply it to a problem and you deliver it as a service. You know, I, I talk about this in my company all the time. No one gives two shits about the secure enclave inside the iPhone. What they care about is, is it private? Is it more private than the other phones I use? Does it keep my stuff secure? great check. They don't dig into all the technology and the gorilla glass and all the amazing science that has been deployed in that in that apparatus. They just go, man, this is a great device. I think I'm going to keep it with me everywhere. And I think in the in the solution space, we're trying to say, look, there's a way to not only, you know, mine the knowledge of the organization, but organize it in a way that you and the rest of your team can take advantage of it. That's pretty appealing to people in very specific use cases, but also broadly as they think about areas to sort of build in resilience and sort of backup and, and you know, take advantage of all this great innovation. You, know, you said something, you talk about the people that are afraid to put themselves out of a job. First off, that's a short-sighted way to think. Um, you know, one of the things I remember when I was kind of feeling really old right now, when I was about 25 years old and I had really kind of gotten serious about work. Um, yeah, that's, that's how long it took folks, 25 years. 
But, you know, I, I remember I had an early mentor who took a big interest in me and I, his name was Bill. And I said, Bill, what do I need to do to get a better job here or, you know, a more important job or a higher paying one? He said, you have to you have to make sure that you have someone ready to replace you mm. when we, so we can move you up because we don't want to create a gap because you've created a ton of value here. Right. And now, so we have to weigh that against value you have yet to create somewhere else. So it's the same thing in, in a business. And I run into this with, so I run into this all the time because, you know, we end up with a client that wants their developers to interview hours before they hire them. And they always find like, well, not always, a lot of time, most of the time they find 10,000 things that are wrong with them. And then I get the founder calls me back and he's like, well, my guys aren't, aren't, aren't liking your guys. Is it because they're worried that my guys are going to replace your guys? Mm -hmm. And it's a real question. It's a real question. So, but, uh, and you know, so we actually like created our whole messaging and everything around disarming that, like go and tell your folks, these, these are folks that are, this is the cavalry. They're coming in to help. They're coming in to do all of this stuff with you not to replace you. This is the help and support that you've needed and wanted. And you're, you have a unique opportunity to be a leader here. And I think that, you know, that's important stuff. And that's, it's easy for people to get past that. And, you know, I don't know, they just, they don't want to transfer the knowledge. Well, I think, I think there's, there's, you know, there are a couple different types of personalities, but one is like, you know, I, I'm confidently uninformed. And if, if, you know, at some point this company, you know, my goal is to grow it into a very large platform. People always go, what's your exit? I go, I don't know. I, I don't care. What I care about is yeah. if I build something of value, someone's going to, you know, uh, want to be part of it. But I remember, uh, you know, someone said, well, you know, are you a public company CEO? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Does that mean I can't learn it? I don't know. But that's not what I'm focused on today. What I'm focused on today is building a great product with a great team and trying to get proof points to get to the next island. Your point about like nonlinear, that's that's how you have to think about it. But, but the other thing I want to say is being a founder and entrepreneur is literally the loneliest job in the world. And uh, people always tell you what they think you want to hear. You have to be very mindful of personalities and filters and how, how the information is being shaped, whether it's three people or 300. And you have to be a learning machine. What I mean by that is you have to be looking for all the inputs, not one set, not I always get good advice here, but like you have to have all this input. And then your job as, as the CEO is to basically look for, you know, signal and all that noise and then have the sort of intestinal fortitude to go, yeah, this is where we're going. And like, I'm not sure, but I think this is where we're going and I'm going to be the first one out up the hill. Let's go. And if you built a culture that supports that, I think, you know, you're going to be more successful than not. Well, and, and to do that last part that you mentioned, so here's the thing, and you know, I've run into this. It's like, okay, this is the hill we're going up. And then some people, I'm not bought into that. All right, cool. Well, I'll be at the top of the hill because <laughs> that's where I'm going. Yeah. And you can, you can get on this motherfucker or you can get off. And, but that's the hard part. That's a hard part. Cause sometimes you're saying that to people that you like and people that have supported your stuff and whatever. But in the end, it's like you said, it is the loneliest job. It is the most difficult. It requires uh, guts and, and sometimes stupidity. I mean, I say that in the, in the smartest way possible. Cause you know, when you talk about, when you define 
stupidity at sometimes going into things without a full understanding about what you're going to experience or find. Yeah. Now it sounds like entrepreneurship. To well, me. it's so, a 90 day. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. where, where entrepreneurs get really lost is when they're fundraising or when they're getting all these signals <clears throat> from different sources and they're like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And that's where you've got to have conviction around the true north but it's like, what is it? Dogmatically focused on the principle and pragmatically focused on how you get there. And I think that's at the end of the day, how you do it. Yeah, I would love to find a way to quit celebrating fundraising as a startup's success level. Because by the way, so you know, folks, 90% of those articles, the, the, the people that you read the articles about, they're going to fail. Yeah. All right. You know so, what? you know, you talk, great- talk about who, who's creating jobs, who's creating revenue, who's creating profit. Do you remember, do you remember the old website? I think it was, it was uh, fuck.com or, or uh, it showed all the companies and they did reviews of venture capitalists and their experience of them. Like no. that was a real thing. Yeah, that was a real thing. I think it got red listed, but what we need is a tech crunch for failure, right? Like TechCrunch publishes all the funding, but no yeah. one like to go find the failures because you can learn in failure. You can learn in you know, things that didn't work. And frankly, failure is a powerful teacher, right? Yep. Individually and collectively. That That's, uh, I, I've had a lot of people ask my advice about, you know, hey, I want to I want to do a startup. What should, or I want to do a podcast. What should it be about? Uh, probably about all the things you've done poorly because mm-hmm. people are going to, trust me, people want to look at that. There's a reason everybody slows down on the highway next to the wreck and, <laughs> and, and takes a look at it. It, but yeah, you could you could have those same people driving by the finish line at a marathon, and they're just going to drive faster. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, who cares about that? So yeah, that was uh, that was kind of the premise at which this. When I sat down with my my business partner at Full Scale and often co-host, we were like, what should we do a podcast about? He's like, well, we shouldn't do it about getting rich or being successful because no one cares yeah. about that they do but very briefly that what should we do about let's talk about all the stuff we've done poorly and just be honest about what it's like and that this isn't easy now yeah. so now while entrepreneurship isn't easy building your software and development team is when you go to fullscale.io we help you build a software team quickly and affordably if you're more interested in learning about stuff and joining the conversation for startup hustle come on over to facebook and join the startup hustle chat group you can find us all over the internet. Startup Hustle is pretty easy to enter into a search field and you'll probably come up with something we've created because we've been doing this for a while. Now, I like to end my episodes of Startup Hustle with what I lovingly refer to as the founder's freestyle. I say my episodes. I'm not the only host of the show. You probably already know that at this point. Make sure you tune in weekly for Matt Watson's been doing his own show without me. We pushed baby bird out of the nest and he's doing, he's having conversations with interesting and engaging people. Tune in weekly from Andrew Morgans as he talks about e-commerce and Amazon and join Innovate, her founder, Lauren Conaway, who Steve talks about all the stuff that I'm not brave enough to talk about in public forums. So I, I thank Lauren for being, uh, being our advocate. She advocates advocacy. For startup hustle, there you go. So here we, here we. Hey, I advocate it too. I'm just like, but I'm like you, man. Like my wife says it too. She's like, you should talk less. <laughs> I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, because you make a good point, and then yeah. you start giving your opinions, and you piss people off. I'm like, yeah, but I'm right. 
It's not about being right, Matt. It's about, the, uh, well, sometimes it is. But, well, you know uh, what? We have a saying here. Do you want to be right or do you want to be rich? And I yeah. always try to make sure that, you know, being right isn't about being principled. And sometimes no. being right, you can still be wrong. So, yeah. Well, so, well, let's talk about being right during the Founders Freestyle. I'm going to go ahead and give you the mic here that, you know, give you an opportunity to, oh, you can sing, you can do poetry, you can say whatever you want, however you want to whoever you want. But I rec I like to talk about the things that stood out from the show, but it's your freestyle. So go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I can guarantee you I'm not going to uh, sing or rap. Um, mm. um, I could go on and on about entrepreneurship, but what I would say is I think, uh, uh, I have, you know, success or failure. I have sort of a, uh, a deep admiration for anybody who's brave enough to try and go out and create something, you know, and, and I think that's what it's about. And I think candidly, that's what makes a lot of our economic engine, you know, here in our country work is because people take risk and sometimes they succeed fabulously and sometimes they fail. But But along the way, there's this culture of, you know, celebrating success, but also celebrating failure and learning from it. And that's, you know, negative knowledge for me is all about that. It's like, what can I learn? How do I get smarter? You know, the only time I have is right now. So let's figure it out, make the most of it, go from there. It's so much about, you know, we, we set into this uh, very short, finite amount of time to talk about a very time consuming topic, which is knowledge transfer and the whole process of it. Now, knowledge transfer for me is something I, I've actually been, you talk about always learning. So I've been in the weeds. I've been studying the things that make people do genius stuff. And with that, so, and, and folks, you may or may not hear more about this. Everyone keeps asking me, like, are you going to write a fourth book? I just want to learn how people turn that switch on and off. And I've learned a lot about it. Now, when it comes to knowledge transfer, I think there's a few things that really put it in its most powerful states. First off is, you know, establishing a sense of clarity. What kind of knowledge are we trying to transfer and, and, and maybe why, or what are we trying to understand? And another thing is I think the most powerful versions come when it's a mutual exchange. Like you and I are, we see each other as both value, having valuable knowledge that the other person wants. And then it becomes kind of circular rather than just one direction, one way or the other, because, you know, it can pick up some speed. Um, you know, I think that if there's, you know, a mutual respect amongst those that are transferring knowledge. Uh, and I also, I, I think that one thing when it comes to the most, you talk about seeking knowledge, transferring it, you got to always be ready to be a receptacle for it, because I think the most powerful versions of knowledge transfer occur when they're not scheduled or planned. Because there's, you know, so people have asked, I've written three books. They're like, so what's it like writing a book? It's kind of like Shackleford's path, you know, because I can't just, well, some people can't, I can't just be like, okay, I'm going to write today from three to five. Mm -hmm. That is not how it worked for me. And mm -hmm. primarily I wrote all my books from 10 PM to 5 AM because that just happened to be the time of the day that I had the least things assaulting my assaulting my uh my thought process so uh we have a we have a special visitor here here come on in, buddy. Yeah. well here we here you go say hi Caden. hi how so you doing normally buddy? normally i lock the door to the studio but i didn't so since it's, he came in at the right time this is a freestyle are you an entrepreneur buddy yeah oh well, we love that don't we well trained yes well thank you for for joining us Caden. so everyone that was my son 
And this also seems like a good time to say, Steve, thanks for joining me. Congratulations for being on Salt Lake City's top startups list. I'll catch up with you down the road. All right. Super excited. Thanks very much, Matt. See ya. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.